hear something off the request line from Liberty Island. Hey everyone, Mackenzie Lambert here, your host for Mac and the Movies, where we look at everything from art house to grindhouse, mainstream to obscure, the forgotten, and the unforgettable. This episode is a different change of pace. We'll be taking a look at films I was suggested by filmmakers. Uh, this will be a review request special. The films on the docket are Morning Woods, the superhero short film Crisis, Horror Hotel, and the sequel Return to Horror Hotel. Plus, there will be another three tenors. Uh, this one will be on Buddy Films. Without further ado, let's get into the movies. company scapegoated me. Ah! We have to hide out. I'm lyrically freaking out. Hello! Ah! Now, why was the scream? I was named highest paid reality TV star. That's like a giraffe being named tall. It's not an accomplishment. <laughs> Gary is a radar technician. He takes his wife, Becca, out into the woods, claiming it's a spa getaway. Turns out Gary is a wanted man by the EPA due to his recent radar causing an oil spill. Making matters worse is the high reward for his capture. While in the woods, the couple meets Sveta and Mark, who are out camping. Gary and Becca try to keep their identities a secret, passing themselves off as an uncle and niece. The niece comes off as mentally disabled and is in an incestuous relationship with the uncle, apparently. Antics ensue, leading up to a rather dark ending for what came off as a lighthearted comedy. Morning Woods is a film that tries to call back to yesteryear films in the vein of a fish called Wanda. It was after I posted my review for the comedy film Brain Donors that Morning Woods was brought to my attention by the filmmakers. They compared their film to the Zuckers-produced cult classic. They offered me a link to see the film, and I've recently had a chance to give it a watch. For the most part, their heart was in the right place, but the execution and the final product leave much to be desired. Unlikable characters, a generic soundscape, jittery camera work, and questionable humor bring down Morning Woods to cringe comedy fare. If you're going to compare Morning Woods to Brain Donors, you need to have one element in place. Likeable characters. Roland T. Fleckfizer, Jacques, and Rocco Melanchak are simple characters that audiences can understand. An ambulance chaser lawyer with the tone-perfect delivery at Kinder Groucho, a mute but resourceful butler similar to Harpo, and a down-on-his-luck cab driver that was a cockney twist on Chico, all three of whom were set up in quick scenes and snappy dialogue exchanges. Morning Woods feels like it takes 15 minutes to establish the plight of Gary and Becca through exposition dialogue. 
All that was really needed was a fake news story or radio broadcast that would have them set, that would set them up in two minutes. The addition of two-dimensional characters like Sveta and Mark just seemed like an excuse for fake accents. And there's not a moment that makes me feel any sympathy for Gary and Becca. I'll give credit to Petra Ramsey as Becca for some of her line delivery. Jeffrey Donner Party and Gooder Idea got some chuckles out of me. The music is generic rock without a melody or a memorable tune. I could hum for you the theme for brain donors off the top of my head. Ira Newborn's score, or if internet rumor and innuendo is to be believed, it was Mark Mothersbaugh, fit the tone of the film. Featured in Morning Woods are artists like Ryan London, Vincent Robillard, The Serotonins, The Original Booty Burglars, Dead People's Pants, The Ryans, The Warlords of Rock and Roll, Light, Thunder and Lightning, and Jeremy P. Nance. If you ask me who played which music, I couldn't begin to tell you. Oscar Lomelli and William Hernandez shared the duties of cinematographer. When a tripod wasn't used, they resorted to handheld and it shows. There are plenty of moments where the camera was shaky and a little disorientating. Uh, this is no excuse considering Sam Raimi used a wooden board to stabilize a camera on Evil Dead. For a movie that came out in 2017, some of the humor seems like it belongs in the early 80s or 90s. I personally didn't care for the use of the word retard. Shout PC all you want, it's a word that really dates the humor of the film and not in a good way. Morning Woods claims to be a mix of A Fish Called Wanda and The Blair Witch Project, yet it lacks the wits of the former and the ingenuity of the latter. I respect for the target they were aiming for, but they missed it, and they missed it big time. The movie is free to watch on YouTube, should you be so inclined. Sometimes a comatose patient will regain consciousness for a short while, only to relapse into a vegetative condition once again. However, this patient will never regain consciousness. is a collection of vignettes that range from the bizarre to the zany. Aliens Stole My Boyfriend centers on a guy who is being broken up with just as a pair of hot aliens fall in love with him. Coma Girl has a husband celebrating his wedding anniversary with his comatose wife until the gender of her care facility admits his love for her. The Problem with Clones has a skip tracer, not to be confused with a bounty hunter, dealing with a group of sisters who were created in a lab. Brain Robbers in Love has an ambitious elder wanting to switch bodies with a younger woman and the backfire that happens. Four Eyes deals with an unusual assassination plot. 
Life After Men is a dystopian tale of a world where men are illegal. (sighs) I have to be that guy, apparently. Uh, This may be a semantic nitpick, but the film takes place at a motel, not a hotel. Hotels are multi-story. I'm sure they intended for the alliteration, but Horror Motel is a more accurate title. I'm sorry that Motel Hell was already used. Horror Hotel is a web series created by Ricky Hess. Under the creative direction of Hess, the series was adapted into a 2016 feature film as a collection of episodes that play one after another. And here lies my first problem with Horror Hotel. There are no host segments or wraparound as one would see in an Amicus anthology film. The segments transition one after another and lacks any connective tissue. This approach affirms John Cleese's complaints regarding the meaning of life. For meaning of life, Cleese felt that the collection of sketches would only keep an audience occupied for so long until they began to want a narrative. Horror Hotel is just one story after another. After a while, I was wishing for something more. I wanted a host to link these stories or something concrete to bridge these stories together. I will be fair and say that the segments had their moments. The bossa nova lingo for the aliens, Bob the janitor professing his love for a comatose woman, Deborah Childs' turn that seemed to be a caricature of Hillary Clinton. These show the potential of the web series, potential that would be lived up in the next film. That said, there were some aspects that didn't win me over. Some of the sketches felt rushed and weren't able to explore some of the heady concepts they played with. The problem with clones and life after men are hurried through the musings and thoughts of the characters without giving much of a chance for the worlds of these characters to be established. And the music score in life after men at the climax was absolutely annoying. The discount Terminator drums were taking me out of the scene. Horror Hotel had some glimmering signs of potential, yet the short format didn't allow for these segments to bear any creative fruit. The seeds were there, but time restraints didn't help. If this film followed the portmanteau approach of Amicus of linking all these stories together, there may be more to say. Let's hope the 2019 follow-up return to Horror Hotel fares better. There's monsters here. Mario, Abby, just get your whiny butts inside. This is what you're trading your car for? Some old stick of wood that's supposed to make you beautiful? This guy lives in a motor court off Highway 41. He's a hermit. He's been shut up in his room for years. No one's ever seen him. Oh, so that's the merchandise. An old box. It's not the box, you welter brain. It's what's in the box. What's in the box? Houdini's hand. Return to Horror Hotel follows the same format as the previous Horror Hotel theatrical compilation. You have four vignettes that center on rooms and an unknown motel. Yes, this is the hill I'm willing to die on. Sleep Tight has the motel being terrorized by carnivorous bugs. 
Guillotine centers on a beauty-inducing charm linked back to Marie Antoinette and two girls who are willing to do anything to get it. No Time for Love has a Navy man from World War II hiding from his past. Houdini's hand has a pair of thieves trying to hide from a mob boss after stealing the hand of Harry Houdini for its lockpicking magic. Return to Horror Hotel came out this year, three years after the previous compilation of shorts. This follow-up repeats some of the mistakes of the previous film while taking steps to correct others. Since I have more positive things to say, I'll give the negatives out of the way first. There is still no wraparound or host segments that would serve as needed connective tissue. It's just one short segment after another. The pacing felt uneven. You have Sleep Tight, which has a great buildup and appropriate escalation. Yet No Time for Love seems to move at a snail's pace in its storytelling. With that out of the way, I really enjoyed the 2016 Return to Horror Hotel much more than the previous film. There are fewer stories, but they're longer, so they don't feel they have to rush things due to time constraints. With the stories being more lengthy, I didn't experience the apprehension like I did with the last film regarding the short sketches and waiting for a narrative to kick in. Another plus is that the stories are simple and don't have to waste time with exposition, a la Life After Men. We see the return of Al Sharko, played by James Edward Thomas, who appears in a few of the episodes this time. He's humorous in a sleazy but dry manner, having more reoccurring characters like those from Are You Afraid of the Dark? Specifically, Dr. Vink or Mr. Sardo would help a lot. Sleep Tight is my personal favorite. The makeup effects are decent and fit very well with the body horror theme. You have a couple using themselves to cultivate bugs they sell as a drug. It's Cronenbergian to the core, and it's disgustingly fantastic. Return to Horror Hotel manages to correct itself enough after the previous film to be more enjoyable viewing experience. Longer, more memorable stories like Sleep Tight are a big help. Decent makeup effects, better characters. I only recommend the previous film just so you can see how much of an improvement 2019's Return to Horror Hotel is. Professor Kleinman is honoring the Shabbat while watching the news. On his screen are news stories of infighting between the homeless and refugees. It's gotten to the point where the news reports on the betting odds of who would win in such contests. Suddenly, he is visited by a renowned superhero, the Galactic Drifter. The Galactic Drifter is having a crisis. He's lost his powers, stemming from his ever-shrinking faith in humanity. Kleiman is the only hope for the Drifter to have such faith restored and enable the Drifter to be the hero the people need him to be. Crisis is a nice change of pace from the homogenized superhero content being churned out by both Warner Brothers DC and Disney Marvel. 
The film has a timely message, performs some darkly satire, and could definitely be mined for a full-length feature. Imagine Analyze This meets Man of Steel. Despite being only 15 minutes in length, there is much more between the film's ears than one would think. Uh, The helmet of the Galactic Drifter is too close to Bagnito's. Don't be surprised if you're getting a warning from the House of Mouse. Joaquin Daniel as Kleiman is a quirky, skittish shrink with some issues of his own. He is quick and rash, which makes a much-needed contrast to Octavi Pujades as the Galactic Drifter. I quite enjoyed this short film and look forward to seeing what else Luxor Cinema can come up with. Now for another installment of the Three Tenors. joined here as always by my special guest john cleveland very special yeah. <laughs> uh this is another edition of the three tenors where we go through rob hill's top 10 lists uh, for movies uh this episode we're going to be taking a look at the top 10 buddy films mm-hmm. uh some of the classic duos uh, or at least in rob hill's opinion in our opinion of uh, the the classic pairings that uh are uh, unforgettable yeah yeah definitely just duos and groups that you just you watch them once and you're like, yep, I need to see more of these mm-hmm. two together. Or sometimes, you know, they only uh, show up together once and you know what? Lightning in the bottle. Yep. You want to see more, but they never made them. Yep. All right. Let's see here. Uh, for uh, Rob Hill's top 10, number 10, Stir Crazy. Uh, mm-hmm. Wilder and uh, Pryor. Yep. Classic. Mm-hmm. Number nine, Midnight Cowboy. Uh, that was Ooh. with uh, Retso and Joe, uh, John Voy and Dustin Hoffman. Yep. Just two great actors. Oh, really. yeah. Uh, number eight, Up in Smoke, the Cheech and Chong classic. <laughs> yes. Arguably their best one. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, here's, okay, here's one. Uh, the Defiant Ones from 1958. Okay, I think that's more of a classic film than I see them as a duo, but okay, I can see it. Yep. Tony Curtis and Cindy Poitier. Yep. Uh, number six, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yep, yep, 100%. Oh, yeah, the duo of uh, Newman and Redford. Yeah, yeah, it was so, I I almost had them on my list. Okay, here's one I'm not familiar with. Wheels on Meals, uh, Jackie Chan, and I'm probably going to m- mispronounce this, but Yen Biao. No. No, that's, that's news to me. News to me? Yeah. Uh, I have to go watch that. <laughs> Number four, Dumb and Dumber, Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels. <laughs> Again, that is in my honorable mentions. Like that, that almost made it on the list because that movie was just so hilarious. And somehow, even though it's the dumbest baseline slapstick humor, mm-hmm. I have watched it numerous times and it is still funny. Uh, number three, Peter Jackson's Heavenly Creatures with uh, huh. Kate Winslet and Melanie Linsky. That is a bold choice. Mm-hmm. 
I definitely think that I think under the duos are underrepresented when it comes to female actresses. Yeah. Um, but I would not have chosen that. It's a compelling film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think they have a lot of on-screen chemistry, but I don't think I would have chosen that one. It's a bold, bold selection. Number two, Lethal Weapon, uh, Riggs and Martau, uh, uh, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. Of course. Yeah. I, I would be surprised if that isn't on all of our lists. Mm-hmm. And lastly, number one, Midnight Run with uh, Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin. Again, I I am surprised by that number one pick. Um, it's not that it's bad or anything. Mm-hmm. I think all of his selections... That, that I'm aware of, obviously, meal, Wheels on Meals or whatever I'm not, yeah. uh, are very good duos. Um, it's just that I don't know if some of them I would have put as compelling that it's this, anything more than just two great actors working together. Like mm-hmm. Poitier, I honestly believe you could put him against anyone and oh, it would yeah. have been great. So it, it's just, it's interesting. It's an interesting choice. All right. A series of choices. Oh, yeah. All right, John, go ahead and give us your personal top ten. Okay, so my top ten. Now, I just criticized Mr. Hill for some weird choices. <laughs> now, be prepared for a lot of hypocrisy because I've got a lot of weird choices. So, starting with that, and I would say the weirdest choice on my list is <laughs> Mickey Rourke and Don Johnson is Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man in Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. <laughs> I'm not, before anyone even says anything, I'm not going to comment, and it's a great film. It's not. It's popcorn entertainment. It's got a lot of flaws, but damn it, it is fun. And those two just work so well together on screen that I, I wanted to see more movies where if they weren't the same characters, they just were both in the same films. Now, I've heard about stuff, the reason they never were a sequel is because those two were just giant divas at the time and could not be on set together. But what the director was able to get them to do on screen was great. And I think they had a lot of really good chemistry. I literally think they could have been another Merton Riggs if they had lasted. And obviously, unfortunately, egos didn't allow that. All right. Number nine. And this is the one I'm surprised didn't make his list because of how iconic they are, even though they're only in one film. Vince Vega and Jules Winfield, John, played by John Travolta and Sam Jackson in Pulp Fiction. It's they're not even in the whole movie, and they're in the whole movie. Oh yeah, they are so iconic together. It's it it remade, it made Jackson's career and it remade Travolta's career. Like it jump started their renaissance as actors. Mm-hmm. Now, um, like when you go see a Sam Jackson movie, he's Sam Jackson in all his movies because of roles like this. Yep. It's the, it's, you know, it's so iconic. They're just, oh. To be honest with you, I'm surprised I had to put it so low on the list. Oh, and then, like, their dialogue over, like, the, what they call hamburgers in Europe or the foot massage. Yeah, classic Tarantino being able to just throw dialogue at you and make it so good. Mm -hmm. So, all right, number eight, Nicholas Angel, oh, wait, Angel, and (laughs) Danny Butterman, as played by Simon Pegg and Nick Frost in Hot Fuzz. Mm -hmm. The writing is just, speaking of great writing from Tarantino, uh, the writing in this is just amazing. I honestly think it's one of the best written films I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so good. It's it's such a good action film that's doing nothing but making fun of action films at the same time. Like, it's it's just beautifully done. Yeah. It It's a perfect five out of five for me. Like, as a film, there's nothing I can critique about the film. <laughs> and a large part of that is, is the, the play between... Uh, Peg and Frost. It, yeah. Like, Shaun of the Dead is it's equally as good, but if I had to choose, I'd yeah, just give I would, the I would go for t- Hot Fuzz as yeah, well. I give the tipping point yeah. to Hot Fuzz. So, all right, next, two more 
cop-like people. Mm-hmm. You see a theme here, folks. Yeah. Um, we got Agent J and Agent K, played by Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones in Men in Black. Mm-hmm. Um, a little-known comic book movie. There was a lot oh, yeah. of comic books before the film. Uh, but, like, so good. They play the straight man and the, the comedy guy so well. Like, to the point where I dare say they're the they're the template other people have to match. Yeah. <laughs> to the point where they tried with R.I.P.D. Like, it's just a clone. But um, it's so good. The, the movie's great. I can rewatch it several times. It's so quotable. And like I said, the play between them is just oh, it's yeah. fantastic. All right, next. This is another kind of oddball. A lot of people don't wouldn't think of this immediately, but then you think about it and like, yeah, you know what? I think you're right. At least that's why I think. <laughs> All right, uh, Valentine McKee and Earl Bass, for, played by Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward in Tremors. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I I I love Tremors. It's one of my favorite monster movies of all time. I wish that the sequels, and I like the second one, the third one, eh, the fourth one, eh, they get a little worse. Yeah. The fifth and sixth one, eh. but. I so wish they had just brought Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward back together because the chemistry they have. Like every time you watch that movie, I'm like, I am convinced that those two are best friends and just have lived through some really shitty times in their <laughs> lives together. Like it's so good. The play between mm-hmm. them. So Alright. Top five. Cutting the list in half. Alright. Alright. And because it's top five, I I have to say, like, this is the point where I had to choose. Is Lethal Weapon going to be now or now? Like, when is it going to be? And I chose it to, to be now. It's Merton Riggs, played by Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, in The Lethal Weapon. Now, I said the whole series, are everyone has their favorite. I can say the first one because it's when they're getting to know each other more. Mm-hmm. But then you could also say, like, the third one where they know each other, and that's really where they're, form- they're, they're proving their friendship is the best and stuff. The second one is also arguably amazing. But I would say the series as a whole, they are the buddy cop duo mm-hmm. they are the ones that everyone else is compared to and if he's if they're not on your list somewhere i don't understand what kind of duos <laughs> you're talking about like they're great for a comedy duo because they both have comedic elements they're great for an action duo because they mm-hmm. both have that going like they are just solid solid actors working very well together all right number four this is uh this is one I, I I I put first originally and only later did I like nitpick and kind of get around it and end up kicking it to to fourth. But th- these two, Lawrence Jameson and Freddie Benson, played iconically and amazingly by Michael Caine and Steve Martin in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I remember watching this. I was at a friend's house and his mom wanted to watch it, and I kind of just assumed, oh, this is one of those like older comedies. It's not going to be that funny. Like I'm looking to, you know, well, let's watch something new. And at that time, that would have been like, you know, Dumb and Dumber or something like that, or uh, whatever. Yeah. And I wanted to see something. She watched it, and I'm like, this is one of the greatest comedies of all time. The play between these two and their scheming against each other and everything is just amazing. If you haven't seen the movie, you need to stop what you're doing and watch this movie. It's great, and it's because of the play between the two actors, between um, Michael Caine and uh, Steve Martin. It's so good. So, number three, top three. All All right. right. Uh, Dante Hicks and Randall Graves, played by Brian O'Halloran, and I might have pronounced that wrong, I apologize, and Jeff Anderson in the Clerk series. They're, the first one, they're just, it, I honestly believe that Kevin Smith was funneling Tarantino to some degree because of how good the dialogue was or to that degree like just 
he was so good at capturing just the average day of two completely unaverage people living a completely mundane life, proving how weird that is. Like, the the conversation they had back and forth, I truly believe, and I think I'm right on this, they are just good friends who have known each other for years. Um, the, the stuff they say to each other is stuff I would I wouldn't be surprised if my friends said to me. Like, they are so realistic, authentic in their roles and their relationship. It just bleeds on the screen. You can't help it. So, uh, second one, obviously, it's a little more Hollywood. It's yeah. a, little, a little more procedural, but it's still very good. Mm-hmm. Alright, number two, because they had to be on here somewhere, because we're sitting in my front room right now, and there's a poster <laughs> of them more than uh, three feet from me, Jake and Elwood Blues, The Blues Brothers, played by John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd in The Blues Brothers. They're just so goddamn funny together. The movie's <laughs> arguable comedic perfection, it's gold. Uh, from they took a Saturday Night Live skit and made it a one of the best comedies of all time in my opinion. It's so good and their play is so good together. Where it doesn't even matter if they don't really talk that much if they don't really do that much that would indicate that how good of brothers are. They don't have to. I believed as soon as they said they were brothers. And they also had legitimate music talent. Yes, yes. It's it's impressive how good they were at being musicians for two comedians who had only met in their, like, mid to late 20s. Yeah. So good. And my number one, which was also on his list, it wasn't for the same film, though. It's Wally and Dave, played by Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder, in See No Evil, Hear No Evil. (laughs) I love Stir Crazy. I love Silver Streak. I love Another You. But for me, See No Evil, Hear No Evil is their best film together. If you've never seen it, Richard Pryor plays a blind man, Gene Wilder plays a deaf man, hence the name, and it is comedy gold they're both amazing in anything they do and this is just that ex- introducing that next level of comedy into it is amazing it's great very cool very cool good good selections all around all right uh, for my uh, top 10 starting off at number 10 uh, Bob Hoskins is Mario and John Leguizamo's Luigi for Super Mario Brothers uh. I know this is probably <laughs> going to kill a lot of my credibility I don't care I thought I thought this presentation of the Murray Brothers on screen works really well, uh, just because you have the idea of them not being quote-unquote brothers, but Mario adopting Luigi, which I thought was actually a nice (laughs) twist on it. It was a really good way to get around the the casting choice. Uh, Leguizamos is a great actor and highly underrated, Uh, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I would have chosen that, <laughs> considering the actors have admitted they were just yeah. drunk most of the time because yeah. they didn't like the movie, so, yeah, but hey, yeah. to each their own. I chose Harley Davidson the Marble Man. Yep. What am I to critique? <laughs> All right, for my number nine, uh, it's going to be Riggs and Martell, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, but this is for Lethal Weapon 4, since okay. that was really the film I kind of uh, grew attached to these characters, because these characters have known each other for so long. They really gelled well here, especially in that opening scene with the guy with the flamethrower. Oh, yes, is, yes. <laughs> Strip down to your underwear. Well, I can't believe it worked. I didn't know you were actually going to do it. There's definitely things brothers would do to each other. Yeah. Yes, 100%. So good. And it, it, like we said, it's, it, they have to be on your list. Yeah. They just have to. Uh, let's see. Number eight, I have Holland and Jackson, played by Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe from The Nice Guys. Uh, it's uh, some prime uh, Shane Black material right there. Yes. Uh, I remember seeing that in theaters and just being like, I want to see several films with these yes. two. I didn't. I saw it, and I'm like, well, Russell Crowe's a great actor. Um, uh, I can't Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling yeah. is a great actor. 
I, and Gasoline's daughter too. She steals the yeah, movie like such a good actress. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I'm like, okay, they're good. I'll go see it because worst case, they're going to put in a good performance. And I don't really care about the movie. No, they they are great together. They're the little comedy they have again, mostly yeah. uh, as a straight man and a comedy guy, works so well together. Uh, let's see, number seven, I have Nick Angel and Butterman, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost from Hot Fuzz. Of course. Yep, it's my favorite uh, Edgar Wright film, period. Yeah. Uh, let's see, and uh, a lot of my buddy pairings are about contrast, you know, the fat and skinny, mm-hmm. the, it's it's all about contrast with buddy groups like yeah. this for me. Uh, and let's see, number six, I have Agent J and Agent K, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, Men in Black. Seeing a lot of parallels yeah. here. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> and you know what? It's probably the best, I mean, this is like an update on Dragnet. Because yes. Tommy Lee Jones is absolutely Joe Friday. Oh, yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Just the facts. <laughs> uh, number five, uh, Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker, Lee and Carter in uh, Rush Hour. I like it just because it's the culture clash, two different, very indiv- very different individuals having to pair up. Yeah, and I think uh, both, I think Chris Tucker, the dynamic comedy he brings is mm-hmm. very similar, weirdly, to the dynamic comedy that um, Jackie Chan brings. So I think that they play off each other. They both... They're both going for the same thing, taking two different paths to get there, and I think it's very good. Now, I'm not a giant fan of the Rush Hour Mm -hmm. series, but I do admit they are good together. Yeah, I know you mentioned previously you were actually more of a fan of uh, uh, Chan and Owen Wilson, the Shanghai series. only because they play off each other differently. Mm -hmm. They're they're more juxtaposed to each other. Um, Personally, that's my opinion. Mm -hmm. I I just think it's a better film, Um, but... I can completely agree that I think Tucker and Chan are a really good comedy duo. All right. My number four is Tommy and Richard, played by Chris Farley and David Spade and Tommy Boy. Yeah. And I know a lot of people like Black Sheep more, but for me, I, I lean more towards Tommy Boy just because the, the slapstick works well so here. And the, there's that there's really that antagonistic comedy that comes from Richard and Tommy that's just... So much more entertaining. Oh yeah, where, where Spade is just sitting there, just <laughs> ripping on him, yeah. and he's just the big oof, and he doesn't understand. No, it's great, and I, I agree. I think I think that Tommy Boy is a better film than Black Sheep, um, and not just because Black Sheep came later, yeah. and it can obviously be considered like, oh, we just it's a second Tommy Boy. No, I, I I completely think it's a better film. It's it is so iconic. It's great, and like in. When I was in high school, it was the comedy. It was like, yeah. if you ask anybody oh, yeah. in my high school what's the best comedy ever, they're going to say that only after, like, I think films like Dumb and Dumber or something like that. Could know, half Bake was another big a one. Half Bake was another yeah. big one or something like that where, like, you, that age group could say, like, this is the other one that's good. But when that came out, that was huge. Yeah. Uh, number three, uh, Cheech Marin and Tommy Chong up in smoke. Yep. Classic. Uh, yep. Uh, just the just the the rock concert bit at the end is just legendary. <laughs> I actually have watched it more recently. Um, a friend recommended it for a completely different read, like a weird side thing, mm-hmm. and I wanted to check it out. And I rewatched it, and I, I have to admit, like it it has it hasn't aged as well yeah. as some things, mm-hmm. and and not just because stoner culture or weed culture is somewhat more prevalent now or something. So like the concept that they're hiding all this stuff, it's it's that. Uh, it really doesn't have a really great narrative structure. It really is almost epi- completely episodic. Like, one thing will just happen, and then, like, it'll stop happening, and they'll stumble into something mm-hmm. else. Like, it doesn't have... It's almost like a day in the life more than anything. It would, To some degree, I've actually heard it would be better set up as an anthology. Yeah. However, it's still fun. They have a lot of fun with what they're doing, and they both are great working together. And they work off really well against Daisy Keats. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> 
who is never ashamed of making himself seem like a fool to get somebody to laugh. All right, my number two, uh, and when I first uh, when we first went over our top tens, uh, and I brought these names up, they're like, "Oh, this is the reason why you made this list in the yes. first place." Yes, like, it, is. it is. It is Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill from the, the day of the Trinity series, but also the Cat and Hutch series. They're comedic action films throughout the mid to late nineteen seventies. It's and I got to give them credit. They were the ones that put me on the map as far as my podcast goes. So yeah. I'm eternally grateful for them. But yeah, uh, these guys just. Great sense of comedic timing, especially with Terrence Hill with some of his more acrobatic yeah. uh, slapstick style. Yeah, he's this different the free range slap, like you said, slapstick mm-hmm. guy um, versus uh, Howard's more. Uh, what's a good word for this? Uh, lumbering? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, strongman kind of style, we'll yeah. say. Yeah. And my number one, uh, for me, just probably one of the greatest comedic duos of all time, Evan and Costello for Evan Costello and Frankenstein. Yeah. Another one that when you told me it, I'm like, yep, that makes complete sense mm-hmm. for you. I, I don't know why. Like, for me, I've always seen them. They're good. But I, I don't know why. I didn't get on that bus. I somehow missed that one of them being, like, the greatest duo of all time. Because mm-hmm. I hear that a lot. Every time I talk about comedic duo, duos, they'll get brought up, and I'm just like, I don't see it. I don't know if it's a time issue. Mm-hmm. I, I, But every time I say that, I can think of other films from that era that I do enjoy. And it's not just because it's old. Like, I love uh, um, Laurel and Hardy, and they're silent films. Yeah. Like, And I, I love other things in that era. Just for me, I never really saw it. However, because it's one of those where everyone talks about it, I fully recognize there. Ha- it can't just be a fluke. There has to be something there. Yeah. So, and I do admit, at least I live the fact that they brought new life into the Universal Horror Monsters yeah. was so good. Oh yeah, because then they followed that up with like the Invisible Man yep. and Boris Karloff as Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, yep. and yeah, they they gave a they gave a decent send off to Universal Monsters. Yeah, because once you go scary, the only option is to go funny. Funny. Yep. All right, and that wraps up uh, the, this episode of The Three Tenors. Uh, let us know what your top ten picks are, because I'm sure you know, you'll know you disagree with us, or even the ones you'll agree with us, you'll probably have uh, different choices from us. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people aren't going to agree with Mario Brothers or <laughs> Harley Davidson the Marvel Man. No. I'm sure that's going to get a lot of like attention, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so on the note, we're going to end this episode. Uh, thanks again for listening. I'm Mackenzie Lambert. And I'm John Cleveland. And we'll see you later. Bye. And that wraps up this episode of Making the Movies. Thanks for listening. I want to give a few quick shout-outs. Uh, Tony Soros Rex, he was kind enough to react to some of my gaming content on YouTube. Uh, another is, uh, I'm going to probably butcher this pronouncement, uh, but Plimer's Pete, a movie reviewer who made a banner for me on his website. Uh, and then there's also, I want to thank Luxor Cinema for offering me a chance to review Crisis. Uh, I'll have links to all their different uh, projects and channels uh, in the description below. If you enjoyed this program and want to see it grow, consider a one-time donation via PayPal. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of that will be in the description as well. Next time on Mac in the Movies, it will be the end of the year special. I'll go over my top 10 selections of Mac in the Movies for 2019. I'll also share some of my favorite movies and video games of 2019. I'll have uh, the inductees for the Mac in the Movies Hall of Fame. One or two reviews might show up as well, and I'll give you the layout for 2020. That will drop on Christmas Eve, Tuesday, December 24th. Until then, this is Mackenzie Lambert for Making the Movies. Take care, folks. Mm-hmm.